Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to honorofkings.org, where I take an unpolished look at false prophets, church history, and the Word of God. I'm Kevin, and I love discovering and proclaiming truth, but finding the truth in the day we live in requires some digging. Have you brought your shovel? Let's break some ground. Prophet Paul Cain, The Cover-Up, Part 1 Paul Cain, The Man Release 3-18-2019 Prophet Paul Cain died Tuesday, February 12, 2019 at the ripe old age of 89. True to form, all of his fellow prophets and prophetesses from the far reaches of Charismania were quick to post memories and adulations of their fallen comrade. I guess it should come as no surprise that I'm rather appalled by the whole scenario, but it's not because of Paul's less-than-righteous behavior in the past, although that in itself is appalling. I'm disgusted because I know that this death will be used to further propagate a movement and a mindset that is altogether deceptive in nature, and because it involves the death of a beloved prophetic icon, it will not be looked upon with the scrutiny it deserves. This deliberate blinding of the sheep is happening even as I write this series. Now, I've written post-mortem commentary on certain false prophets and teachers before, like Kim Clement and Billy Graham. You can find those links in the post. After I wrote these posts, quite a few people, especially die-hard fans of and those deeply connected to the deceased, thought I was condemning, insensitive, and heartless. I'm sure that I appeared to many as a munchkin from The Wizard of Oz, dancing around and singing, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. But trust me, nothing could be further from the truth. If my only purpose for writing this type of post is to dance on someone's grave, then those who write to me saying, dude, get a life, would be justified in doing so. Recognizing a prophet's behavioral pattern. You have to understand there is a reason I take advantage of these times when a false prophet has died. It is not an effort to further besmirch an already tarnished reputation, but to curb the deception that I know is sure to follow. Unfortunately, that curbing of the deception usually involves addressing some of the deceased's flaws and past sins. This is largely unavoidable, but my aim is to shine a light on the manipulative tactics used by the modern-day prophet, not to accuse those who cannot defend themselves. Having said that, we must realize from the outset that false prophets and teachers have behavioral patterns, most notably in the way that they handle the death of their peers that needs to be recognized, noted, and remembered, or they will get away with deceiving the masses, including you, again. False prophets use intimidation to keep you quiet. To quickly counter any opposition, false prophets will work hard to keep the alert among the flock silent by bringing up all the verses in the Bible that warn against speaking ill against a brother, while conveniently leaving out all of the verses about judging sin and exposing evil. Somehow they forget that the same guy who said, Judge not, in Matthew 7.1, also called people hypocrites in whitewashed tombs in Luke 23.27. Of course, they will endorse that judgment has a place in the church, just as long as it's not you who is doing the judging. That privilege has always been reserved for those who have proven themselves faithful to the prophetic ideology for an extended period of time. If false prophets can keep you subdued by making you feel condemned for voicing your concerns, all under a twisted perception of walking in love, then those who are completely under their thumb will never hear or even consider an alternative point of view, and they will continue to walk oblivious and subservient to their corrupted influences. And by extension, if the acolytes continue to walk in lockstep with their teachers and convince others to do the same, the empire grows and becomes self-replicating. Having said all that, I'm going to be providing ample evidence that Paul Cain was not the wonderful prophet that everyone considered him to be. Most of this information was intentionally hidden from the public until after his death. 
But as you read this series, please don't make the mistake of thinking that my sole purpose is to air a post-mortem laundry list of Paul's sins so that everyone will think that he was this awful dude. That would be petty and spineless. The whole reason for this series is to show you how the prophetic movement uses our own short-sighted human nature and ignorance of scripture against us to build a self-sustaining empire in spite of their claims to the contrary. Are you ready? Here we go. Paul Cain before the prophetic movement. Paul Cain's past is colorful, to say the least. Ministering in the big tents in the same style as Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, and Jack Coe until the late 50s, Paul dropped out of public ministry, claiming to be disillusioned by the excesses of some of his contemporaries. Although Paul would reappear alongside the prophetic bigwigs from the mid-80s onward, he was hardly inactive in the interim. Remembering Paul in a recent Elijah List post, Jeff Jansen stated, quote, Paul also served as a consultant to Central Intelligence Agency Paranormal Division, a consultant to the FBI, and a presidential consultant and special envoy for three presidents. Paul ministered to many national and international leaders, and during the Clinton administration, Paul went to Iraq to meet with Saddam Hussein. He also met with many spiritual key church and denominational leaders, unquote. I have to admit, When I read this little snippet, the conspiracy theorist inside me perked up and I decided that I would dig a little deeper. A blurb in the back of the book, Paul Cain, a prophet in the Hall of Kings, reads as follows, He is Dr. Paul Cain, evangelist and public speaker for over 60 years, former senior diplomatic advisor for the Washington Federal News Service, consultant to CIA-DIA Intelligence Agency, Paranormal Division, Consultant to the FBI, National Center for Intelligence and Counterterrorism, and Presidential Consultant and Special Envoy for Three Presidents. This book, Paul Kane, A Prophet in the Hall of Kings, is not a full-scale biography, though it does sketch a personality portrait with some key moments in his life. Instead, this book mostly focuses on foreign policy, with an emphasis on the Iraq of Saddam Hussein's era and the Middle East. Readers will be taken inside the meetings that he had with foreign diplomats, several presidents, their staff, key advisors, and close friends. While still in his mother's womb, an angel appeared to his mother with a message from the Lord. The fruit of your womb is a male child. Name him Troas Paul. He will preach the gospel as the Apostle Paul of old, and he will prophesy to kings and presidents. All of this came to pass exactly as it was told and is continuing to unfold even now. In 1985, while the Central Intelligence Agency's Project Stargate was in full swing, Dr. Kane was contracted as a remote viewer by George H.W. Bush's administration. For two terms, President Clinton tasked him to travel to Iraq on several top-secret missions of national urgency. Unknown to Dr. Kane, President Clinton, or Saddam Hussein, decisions they made would set in motion a chain of events that would topple Middle Eastern leaders, send a wave of Islamic fundamentalist terrorism coursing towards America, and set in motion the end of days. You must find out what Saddam meant when he told Dr. Kane, President Clinton is the hope of Iraq and the hope of the world, unquote. There is enough information in this little blurb to make researchers and conspiracy theorists froth at the mouth, but I cannot go down this path right now and stay on track. So if any of you want to grab that torch and run with it, please do, and please email me your findings. Since coming out of the haze of the prophetic movement, I have had a deep conviction that it was not a move of God, or even a move of God gone bad, but something much more sinister, something planned, but I haven't had a chance to dig that deep yet. Let's move on to Paul Cain's involvement in the prophetic movement. Paul Cain and the Kansas City Prophets The influence of Paul Cain on the modern prophetic movement cannot be understated, and it is quite extensive. 
He, along with Bob Jones and Mike Bickle, played an integral role in the establishment of what became known as the Kansas City Prophets. Being a part of the Kansas City Prophets, as well as having what they perceived as a prophetic gifting, earned him the love and respect of his followers, who had deep ties to Vineyard Christian Fellowship, International House of Prayer, and Morning Star, to name a few. In fact, he is considered by most modern-day prophets to be one of the founders or fathers of this movement. God TV even went so far as to refer to him as one of God's generals. The Nameless Faceless Generation Paul is very well known for his famous stadium speech, in which he sets forth the idea of a faceless generation, which later became known as the Nameless Faceless Generation. What if God poured out of heaven some kind of a great outpouring and his sovereignty and righteousness and justice and love and his eternal life and omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence and immutability and veracity just dumped all over you? Azusa Street uh, was instituted and, and people went there and they beheld the baptizer and became the baptized and then they beheld the healer and became the healed and then all of a sudden God has saved the best for the last. The Jesus people came in because they beheld the Savior and became the saved. Look out, California, there's something greater than a tidal wave. There's something greater than a gigantic, charismatic earthquake coming. God will shake the earth once more, and His glory is about to be revealed in His people. Sons and daughters of God are going to be introduced in this meeting. Something's going to come uh, so strong to you that you won't even know that there be any baptism of the Holy Ghost compared to the enormous baptism you're about to receive. I tell you, that cloud is coming. That cloud is coming, for they will be the face generation of men who will stand on a platform with thousands and multitudes and masses all about and the news media ABC NBC CBS CNN will be saying ladies and gentlemen we have no news tonight to report but good news the whole world is going mad over Jesus they're falling on their face and saying Jesus is Lord and all and all there are no sports uh, news tonight because all the football stadiums and all the ballparks and all the coliseums are filled overflowing with thousands gathering. And they're saying, we have a resurrection over here. And then twisted, mangled bodies are being made straight. And then the news announcers um, are saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know who these people are. They're almost faceless, and they're speaking great wisdom, and they're speaking things that are bringing about resurrections and bringing about healings. And I want you to know it will happen, my friends, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will once again become the first line of defense. She'll be the only cure for AIDS. She'll be the only cure for communicable diseases that medical science will never be able to heal. From this idea of a nameless, faceless generation, which heralds in the great revival, which cannot be found anywhere in scripture, emerged the ethos behind the Call, Azusa Street, and Awaken the Dawn conferences. In these conferences, there are constant references to the nameless, faceless generation who will go about doing the great works of the kingdom. In their minds, they are the chosen conduits through which abundant signs, wonders, and miracles will be performed, providing to the world the indisputable proof that the kingdom of heaven is here. But no matter how many conferences are held, this promise of a nameless, faceless generation continues to elude the hopeful. Undaunted, they trudge on, motivated and manipulated by the false prophets who continuously remind them of Paul Cain's prophecy and that they are that generation. Paul Cain's struggle is well documented. By now, everyone who is familiar with Paul Cain knows that he struggled with homosexuality and alcoholism. 
This is well documented and confessed to you by Paul Cain himself, making the claim indisputable. I know that what I'm about to share with you will be perceived by many as rubbing it in, or as I stated above, dancing on Paul Cain's grave, and I suppose there's nothing I can do about that. These people have their minds made up. No matter what is stated, no matter what facts are brought out, in their view, Paul Cain was a great prophet and a father to the prophetic movement, therefore he must be honored as such. If you speak to the contrary, in their minds you are obviously bitter and want to sow discord. By all means, their idols must remain on the altars of their hearts. I find this to be indicative of everyone I've ever met who is involved in the prophetic movement, although they vehemently protest. But this series is not for the brainwashed Elijahist faithful, although I'm sure they would learn something if they would just exhale, take a step back, and consider the facts. This series is for those of you who are not willing to be deluded. This series is for those of you who have no problem putting your personal preferences aside in your quest for truth. When the narrative and the truth don't match. I say all this because there has been a certain narrative put forth about Paul Cain and his dealings with homosexuality and alcoholism. The details that have been made public up until the present day have been cherry-picked to paint Paul Cain in the best possible light so as not to rock the prophetic boat and keep certain empires afloat. Up until February of 2019, I was in the same boat as all of you. Like you, all I knew about the situation with Paul Cain was what Charisma, the Elijah List, and Morningstar determined that I should know. But the release of recent information this month, February 2019, tells a much more contradictory and disingenuous tale. After hearing this information, I listed out the dates of critical events in the Paul Cain debacle, analyzing what is now public information versus what we were told about Paul Cain's struggle with homosexuality and alcohol. And I'm really glad I did, because I put a whole new light on what was and is really going on behind the scenes. When you see the order of events listed out in front of you, it becomes obvious that this was a planned suppression of the truth. Stay tuned. The details are coming in the next post. Hey, thanks for listening in to the latest honorofkings.org podcast. I hope that you were edified, but most of all, I hope you were challenged. If we don't get out of our comfort zone, we'll never really grow, you know? Don't forget to leave a comment below and subscribe to the newsletter if you want to be informed when there's new content. If you like what you're here and want to share it with your friends, feel free to share it on your social media accounts. If you want to learn how to use the Word of God to identify false prophets, check out my book, Prophetic Masquerade. Learn to use the Word of God to unmask the wolves among the sheep. You can either buy the book on Amazon or you can read it online for free. To buy the book, go to Amazon.com and type in Prophetic Masquerade into the search box or go to honorofkings.org slash prophetic-masquerade to read it for free. Thank you so much for your time. This is Kevin Client from honorofkings.org signing out. Later. Later.